130. That is our text for today. Psalm 130. And as I'm sure you have caught on, this is the first Sunday in Advent. Now, some of you might wonder what exactly is Advent? What makes that different than just Christmas? Well, in Christmas, we celebrate the birth of Jesus, right? That he was born, that he, he came, he was born in a manger. He, of course, lived a sinless, perfect life. He died on the cross and was resurrected for the sins of many. But in Advent, we also celebrate not only that, but we also celebrate his second coming. We celebrate that he will return again in power and in glory. And so we're today celebrating all those things, not just that he came the first time 2,000 years ago, but that he comes again. And so as we enter this Advent season, I'm going to look at a couple different themes over this next month. And the first one is hope. By the way, we're kind of going to look at them all today. This is kind of all encompassing, but we're going to focus on hope. And so here in Psalm 130, we'll see how Jesus brings us hope that we would not naturally have without him. We'll look at how we are naturally in despair. We are naturally cut off from God. Specifically, I'm talking now before we are saved. And you all had that period in your life before you were saved. You lived in despair, whether you always recognized it or not. The despair of eternity apart from, from Christ, if we're not saved. Eternity in hell apart from Him. We're cut off. We're unable to focus on the things above when we're in that state. But then, even after our salvation, and I know most of you here are, are saved, most of you here are believers, we still can despair. And we despair because we sin. And because our sin causes us to lose a measure of peace and joy that God wants to give us naturally, and we in turn sometimes reject that because of our sin, because we look away from Christ. And so today as we read this Psalm 130 here, I want to draw us back from despair. I want to point us, fix our eyes toward hope in Jesus, the one who loves us, the one who died for us, the one who embodies hope himself. We would have no such thing without him. Without him, I don't even think this would be a word in our vocabulary. And so we want to point to Jesus today, the one who came as an infant 2,000 years ago, the one who reigns in power today as our king, and the one who will return in triumph one day. And so let's read Psalm 130 together. And this is a psalm of ascents. This is one of the psalms that they would traditionally sing when the Israelites were traveling up to Jerusalem, traveling up the mountain during their holidays. They would sing this psalm as, as one of several here that they sing. So read with me, verse 1. Out of the depths I call to you, Lord. Lord, listen to my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for help. Lord, if you kept an account of iniquities, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that you may be revered. I wait for the Lord. I wait and I put my hope in His Word. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for there is faithful love with the Lord, and with Him is redemption in abundance. Beautiful, beautiful passage here. And as we look at it, you'll notice it's divided kind of into four little sections of two verses each. And so I want to derive a theme from each of these four sections relating to hope as our overarching theme for today. So number one, first thing here, these first two verses, is just that you need hope. This is the need of humanity. 
This is the need of you. This is the need of your neighbor. This is the need of your friend. This is the need of your child. You need hope. And there in verse 1, right out of the way, he says, out of the depths I call to you, Lord. Well, what does that mean? Out of the depths, the psalmist is calling to the Lord. The depths of what? Well, we're not talking here. I want to be clear. We're not talking about overwhelming life circumstances or simply drowning in our sorrows or having a bad day at work. Those are problems, no doubt. And we can despair over those things, no doubt. But that's not what's being talked about here. The depths and the despair that we're talking about here is being overwhelmed by the magnitude of our sin. He has despair over his own sin. And this is the depths of despair, of adversity, of trouble that is coming into his life because of that sin, as a direct result of how he has offended God. And he's expressing this feeling of alienation from God, of being separated, of being cut off, of being distant, you might say. If you remember the story of Jonah, right, the prophet Jonah in the Old Testament, he prays from within the, the, the great fish when he's been swallowed, he's in there, and he cries out from within, it says, the depths of the grave. As he's praying, he prays to God. It says it comes from within the depths of the grave. Here he says, out of the depths I call to you, Lord. And so there's this feeling of just being sunken, right? Of being apart, buried, And he cries out to God, overwhelmed by his own sin, his own personal guilt, and the problems that that has caused. And as I read this, I feel like the word for it is partially lamentation. You've all heard that word. It's a book of the Bible, Lamentations. There's lamentation over sin. And there's an element, even I would say, of desperation. Do you kind of feel that desperation when you read this? Out of the depths I call to you, Lord. This isn't out of a happy place, but it's out of the depths, an element of desperation. And you know, we're not told his exact sin here. The psalm is not that specific as to tell us exactly what happened. Perhaps it's a lifetime, an accumulation of sins. Perhaps it is something specific. But whatever the sin is, it's had a huge impact on separating God from man. And so this man, he's separated. He's at war with God just as you once were before knowing Christ, just as two nations fighting would be, they're separated, they're apart, just as you have Russia, you have Ukraine, they're alienated, they're at war. There is no peace there, is there? And that's how this man feels when it comes to God. He's alienated and he's at war with God. And what else I find interesting about this call, how often when we read the Psalms do we see cries for help? Very often, right? There's always cries for help in the Psalms. Many times, those cries for help are from external enemies, right? It's my enemies circle me like a pack of evil dogs and deliver me from them, you know, deliver me out of their hand. But this is a different kind of cry for help. It's not an external enemy. What is this enemy? It's an internal enemy. This is the internal foe. It's a different source. The psalmist, he's seen his own sinful heart and he recognizes that that is the real enemy. That is perhaps the greater enemy than the guy out there that wants to kill him and wants to do evil. The real foe is his own heart, his own sin. And so he's cut off. 
He's alienated from God. He's desperate. He's separate. He recognizes he lacks holiness. He lacks perfection. He doesn't have it. And this is the dilemma that you face. We all face it because we all naturally are born alienated from God. This is the normal state of a human as we're born. Colossians 1.21 speaks powerfully to this. It says, and this is talking about, again, before you became a Christian, if you are a Christian, Colossians 1.21 says, once you were alienated and you were hostile in your minds as expressed in your evil actions. Once. Now, that doesn't have to be the case now, but once you were, because this is talking about everyone who has not yet turned away from sin, who has not repented, who has not stopped trying to make themselves king, and they've come to honor Jesus as king. It's people who haven't done that yet. And so have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt alienated from God? Have you ever felt cut off and and without hope? Maybe you know Jesus, but you still feel alienated. We'll talk a little bit about that in a bit here, partway through this message. But what then are you to do? if you feel cut off, if you feel alienated from God? Well, let me ask you some questions. What would be, what word would describe the opposite of hope? What would be the antonym of hope? What do you think? Despair. That's what I said. Despair. Despair. And so would it then be fair to say that this psalmist sounds like he's in despair? Yes, I think so. Would it also be fair to say he's in despair over his sin? Yes, I think so. Remember, this isn't just a life circumstance. This is his sin that's causing the despair. So then, is that despair over sin a good thing? Yeah, it is. Yes, absolutely. Despair over sin can actually be a very good thing. And so if you feel, as he does, convicted over what you've done, angry over what you've done, angry at your own sin, I think that can be a good thing today. So this despair or grief over sin, this this is the sign of a saved person or at least a person who is about to be saved. People who don't love God don't despair over their sin, right? They relish in it, generally speaking. 2 Corinthians 5.20. Here's the call. What then are we to do? He says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, Since God is making his appeal through us, he's talking to Christians, and so we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Our plea on Christ's behalf for anyone who doesn't know him is to be reconciled to God, 2 Corinthians 5.20. And then he goes on to explain how that happens, that God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. But what was the call for you is to go and to be reconciled. Turn away, repent from sin, no longer be alienated because God doesn't desire that gap there, but instead be reconciled to him. And so whether it's the first time, whether it's the thousandth time, we're called to look, to fix our eyes upon Jesus today. Because he's the only one capable of helping you close that gap. You can't close that gap yourself. You can't do enough good stuff. You may think So many people do, many religions do think that you can cover over that separation by doing good things by any number of human means. You may even just pretend that God doesn't exist. You may busy yourself with life so you don't have to think about God. You may act as though you're okay because you have a roof over your head and you have food on the table, but none of that solves the fundamental problem. 
the fundamental problem of you being alienated from God, being cut off and in despair apart from Him. From the all-powerful yet all-loving Creator, you were cut off. Then in verse 2, he says, Lord, listen to my voice, okay? Listen to my voice. Hear me. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for help. He says, the Lord, hear me when I call. And we can have confidence that the Lord does hear. That if we call to the Lord in faith, He will hear us. He will listen. But do you feel the despair here? Hear me, please, anything, something. Call out to God from the depths, just like the psalmist did, just like Jonah did. Because again, Jesus is the only one who can give us true hope. And so this is the problem. The problem is you need hope. You need to look to Jesus for salvation, for hope today, for tomorrow, for eternity. And we all need that hope. So this brings us then to the main point. What's the point? If we all need hope, what then can we get out of this passage, out of Psalm 130? True hope only comes from knowing the Lord's salvation. And if you get anything today, get this. That when you're experiencing despair, true hope, the opposite of that despair, only comes from knowing the Lord's salvation. You can't buy it on this earth. You can't do something to earn it. But it only comes from knowing the Lord's salvation. Because if you place your hope in other things, you place your hope in false gods, other people, you're going to be disappointed. Everything in this world will fail you, but God won't. And so, let's look now at the rest of this psalm at three different elements of how God offers us hope according to this passage. Number one, we see a hope for forgiveness. So you need hope, and what have we got? We've got a hope for forgiveness. God provided a way. This is the first, this is the most important element of hope according to this passage. And when I say a hope for forgiveness... I'm using the word hope here in a particular way. I'm not saying hope in the sense that you may or may not get forgiveness. Uh, that, that when you go to Jesus, he might say, yes, I'll forgive you. He might say, no. It's not like I'm saying, you know, hey, I'm going to try my hardest and I'm going to hope I win the race. That's not the way I'm using the word here. All right? So get the definitions right. I'm saying for those who trust in Jesus, hope and hope for forgiveness is a sure thing is a sure hope. It's not a maybe. It is a sure thing. It will happen. It has already been accomplished by Jesus on the cross. Hope is sure. Okay, So definitionally understand that. And now look at verse 3, this hope for forgiveness. Lord, if you kept an account of iniquities, Lord, who could stand? And isn't that the truth? If he kept a record, who could stand? It would crush us. Sometimes I, I talk with people you know, I go around on the college campus and I'll talk with people. And what's the biggest problem people have? They just think they're good. They think they're better than everyone, even you. I mean, you think you're better than That's the problem with us too, isn't it? People just think they're good. And you know what? It's a lie. But that is the lie that prevents people from having real hope. That real hope for forgiveness. Because if God stood in front of you, and if he recited the mile-long list of sins and mistakes that you've committed over your life, you would surely collapse. Because he says, who could stand? Who could stand in front of that? No one. It would be too much. And here's the scary thing. If you're alienated from God, if you're still in the depths, well, then God does still keep a list of your sins. 
That's a little frightening. Because when you die, he will charge you with them and he will hold you accountable. And many people, again, and they're just hoping in their good deeds. They're hoping I can work my way into heaven. But the good can never cover over the bad you've done. And so you hope in yourself and you hope in your own goodness, but that's never the right place to put your hope. I would hope that you would not hope in yourself. Right? We've got to look to Jesus, but so many of our friends are looking to themselves and what they've done, and it's a failure. And I think when we are honest with ourselves, we know that it's a failure. We know that we can't do it. It's a hope and a forgiveness that we need offered freely by Jesus because He was perfect and because He could accomplish what you could not by going to the cross. That we, we celebrate this Advent season that He came as a baby and He accomplished what you could not. And so again, this forgiveness is a sure thing. Look at verse 4. He, he's talking about hope, but He's not talking about it as a maybe. He says, But with you there is forgiveness so that you may be revered. There is forgiveness. It's a sure thing. It will happen for those who love Jesus. 1 Peter 2, 24 and 25 says of this sure thing, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree so that having died to sin, we might live for righteousness. For by His wounds you have been healed. For you, what were you like? You were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. You have returned. You have been pulled out of that pit of despair. You have come to Jesus because of what he did in his body on the tree, on the cross, taking on your sins. The despair is gone. The alienation from God is gone. That gulf between God and man, that huge chasm is no longer there. You're no longer at war with God. There is peace between God and the sinner. Oftentimes for for Advent, for this season, we talk about peace. We talk about how Jesus is our hope for peace. And I believe next week that's what the sermon is going to be about. Peace. The hope for peace. And we need peace on earth. I'm all in favor of that. I don't want wars going on. But what's the greater peace that we need? It's peace between you and God. That is the greatest peace. And that peace is only found, again, through Jesus and through what He accomplished. And so let's just note, let's remember, this is a free gift. This peace that he gives you is free. And that's again because salvation is not what you do. It's about what he did for us. So I think the psalmist is encouraging you here. If you're placing your hope for forgiveness, if you're placing your hope for peace on anything else, you're going to be disappointed. Place your hope on Jesus. Place your hope on the Lord. Because otherwise, it's like the man that built his house on the sand. Do some of you remember that story? A man builds his house on the sand, it is destroyed, and it crumbles. And if you place your hope for forgiveness anywhere else, that's exactly what will happen to you. So put it on Jesus, look to Jesus, keep your eyes fixed on Him. And then look at the second half of verse 4 here, though. Why? Why is God doing all this? Why does God give you peace? Why does God give you forgiveness? Is it just about you? Well, no. Actually, look at the end of verse 4. But with you, that is with the Lord, there is forgiveness so that you may be revered. So that the Lord may be revered. So he didn't just give you forgiveness for yourself. He gave you forgiveness for him 
so that he would be revered. Or some translations, by the way, say feared, so that the Lord would be feared, that he would be seen as great and mighty, and that God would be revered through you, through your salvation that he accomplished in you. Because his power because of his great love and forgiving sinners. So even your own salvation is not about you, really. It is, but it isn't. It's even more so about God, and so that God would be revered through your salvation. And he brought this salvation to his enemies, to us, to people who hated him, because what an incredible act that is. Salvation, forgiveness, not to his friends, but to his enemies. And so as we think about hope, When you're tempted to hope in your own goodness, reject it. When you're tempted to look elsewhere for hope, reject it. I want to encourage you to fix your hope for forgiveness on Jesus only. This is the core of our gospel truth. This is why we gather as a church on a Sunday, on a Lord's Day, is because we put our hope only in Jesus and only on what He accomplished on the cross. That is our hope today. That is our hope for this Advent season. And once we have forgiveness we somehow still manage to have problems. We still manage to cause problems. And so let's jump to that now. What else? We need a hope for forgiveness, but then we need a hope with patience. Verse 5. I wait for the Lord. I wait and I put my hope. Here's the first time they actually uses that word in this passage. I put my hope in His Word. I wait for the Lord more than the watchman in the morning, more than the watchman in the morning. So what is the psalmist waiting for? Uh, Some might say he's waiting for forgiveness. I don't think so. I'm interpreting this to say that he has already now received it by this point in the psalm. I believe what he's waiting for is the restoration of those blessings that accompany forgiveness, the things that come along with his forgiveness. He's waiting for the restoration of God's peace. He's waiting for the restoration of God's joy to rest upon his life, having already been forgiven. All right. So I'm proposing that there's a shift here. And that shift is the shift of forgiveness, right? So now we're looking more at the believer, at those. The salvation has been accomplished or it's been reassured, you might say. But I want you to think of a, of a time when you fell into sin, you repented, but it took a while. It took a while before you really felt at peace with God again, before you felt joy with God again. Have you ever felt that? All right, you know you're forgiven, you know it's, it's taken care of because you've gone to God and you've asked for forgiveness, but it just doesn't quite feel right for a little while. And I think that's what is being dealt with here. And so have you ever experienced that? Are you even experiencing it now, today, as you come in here on a Sunday morning? I'm sure some of us are. We're feeling some distance with God because of sin, and maybe you already have repented. If you haven't, today's the time and the day. But there's this still this feeling that it's not quite right yet. It just takes a little while. There's some sin that's still robbing us of our joy and peace, even if we know it's been dealt with. But if you are experiencing heartache, not a lot of joy, not a lot of peace, it might even be that there's sin in your life you're not aware of. There might even be something you're doing that's sinful that you haven't even thought about, and that's robbing you of your joy and your peace today. Possibly some sort of idolatry. We're good at that. We're good at making idols. Possibly something on this earth you're just putting too much value in. You look at the psalmist here and that seems to be what's 
happening with him. But now, even after confessing his sin, he receives forgiveness. The psalmist is not immediately experiencing the joy, the joy of the Lord and the joy of the Lord's peace that comes with that. Because, again, God's forgiveness is immediate, but you know the restoration of joy, the restoration of peace is not always immediate. And an example of this, I think, we find in another psalm. Some of you are familiar with Psalm 51. That's similar to this psalm in a lot of ways. It's another psalm of, of repentance. And so David wrote Psalm 51, and we actually know the exact story there. He had fallen into sin with them, but he repented. And I think he faced the same scenario even after his repentance. Here he says in Psalm 51:12, Restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. He's already repented, but he's saying, but God, now restore the joy of your salvation to me. And I think that's the issue we're dealing with here in Psalm 130. That's the issue you're dealing with in your life today. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. So while the pardon is immediate, the rest comes later. The full extent of that joy does not always return. So he prays for it and he asks for it. Because there is this godly sorrow that just takes time to work its way out before that joy of our salvation is restored. And I think that's okay. This is why we need hope. This is why we need certainty in God. A certainty that is filled, however, with patience. And we just aren't a very patient people when it comes to anything. But we need a hope, a hope that knows the joy of our salvation. It will return, it will come, but we just need to keep asking for it. We need to keep going before God. We need to keep petitioning Him, praying that God would return us to joy, and eventually He will. But you know, we we are impatient. Just the other week, I went to Culver's and I went went to the drive-thru and I ordered like the jumbo family size fry, right? Like the mega monster fry. And um, it's like, it's It's this huge thing. And I pull up to the window and I pay. And then they're like, all right, you're going to have to go wait over there now, right? Because I probably ordered so much, they probably had to dump a whole new thing in the fryer. And so I'm, ah. So I go wait. I go wait over there while the rest of the line is just cycling by me. And I'm sitting in my car going, ah. Marty feels this. He's like, he he has to tell people to do the same thing, right? And I'm just sitting there going, ah, ah. A whole five minutes, ah. But we're so impatient. And if we struggle to wait five minutes for our food, well, no wonder that we struggle to wait on the Lord to bring us peace and to bring us joy. But as we repent, as we go before Him, God is slowly burning this out of us, this love for an idol, this love for sin, that the things we used to find joy in, the false joy in the idol, and it can be a long and painful process, right? We know this. It can take even days, months, years. It's a long, long process to to have those idols just burnt out of us. But God will do it. The Holy Spirit will work mightily in our lives. And I believe there's a couple different reasons here that we can wait patiently on God's timing. And the first one's found right there in verse 5. Why can we wait patiently on God's timing to return us to a greater measure of peace, a greater measure of joy? Well, we can have patience because of God's Word. He says, I wait for the Lord, I wait, and I put my hope in His Word. And this is specifically the part of God's Word, the part of Scripture that promises forgiveness, the part that promises restoration. It will happen. It's the part of His Word that promises having a peaceful heart and tells us that having that peaceful heart comes first between because there's peace between you 
and God. And so this Bible, this Word that we trust in will guide us into greater patience in the Lord if we trust the One who authored it and if we trust the words He put down for us. But then also, we we trust in God because His Word says so and it's true, but we can also have patience in God because of His providence. And I like that word providence, right? We could say sovereignty, but I like the word providence better for this application because providence is defined as God's purposeful sovereignty. It's His purposeful sovereignty, where He wants it, when and why. And so while God is never the cause of your sin, He's never the cause of the sin that damages the relationship between between you, He's never the cause of that sin that destroys your joy and peace, He often does allow, and in His sovereignty permits such sin, when it keeps with his purposes. And you can find examples of this in the Bible, and you can probably find examples in your life. Because oftentimes his purposes may involve growing you. They might involve teaching you what it means to repent. They might involve offering a greater measure of trust to him in your heart and in your life. And so he's got a purpose in his providence behind all that. And we know that that is an outworking in our whole lives. So providence, we can have patience in it. You can have patience in trusting Him. It all comes back to that key of trust. Perhaps He's teaching you what it looks like to have the Holy Spirit cultivate peace and joy in your life. But when you don't experience God's peace and joy, what do we do? Again, I think we have some good hints here in this passage. If you're not experiencing that, what should you do today? Pray to Him as as David did, as the psalmist did. Pray that He would restore us. But then also... Hebrews 12.2. So pray, go before God in prayer, but then Hebrews 12.2, keeping our eyes on Jesus. The focus, where, is, where are our eyes looking? Are they looking to things here or are they keeping on Jesus? It says, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So patiently, fixing your eyes on Him when we get distracted, which we so easily do. And this verse, by the way, the author and perfecter of our faith, this could be translated as the founder and the completer of our faith, the beginning and the end of our faith. Not only is He the starter and the finisher, but He's everything in between. It's not you. But we've mistakenly thought that we have to get after it. We have to do, do, do. We have to work. But no, that's not the case. We think we cultivate the joy. We think we cultivate the peace. Again, that's not the case. We've lacked the patient hope that we need. The patient hope to trust and rest in Him. So today, the question for you to think about is will you decide to have that patience? Will you patiently fix your eyes and look to Jesus today? Fix your eyes on Him and and wait. Wait for His blessing. It might take a little while. You might not know why you're going through the season you're going through, but you hope in Him with patience. You might not know why He's taking so long to restore your joy, but it will come. The last thing here, these last two verses, all right, we're hoping for forgiveness, we're hoping in patience, but now confidence. And I'm so glad that this passage speaks to confidence. Verse 7, Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For there is faithful love with the Lord, and with Him there is redemption in abundance. Hope in the Lord, redemption in abundance. This idea of confidence, I think this is a theme that we're going to have to lean into in in the weeks, months, years to come. 
confidence in God? Do we really trust in Him in every aspect of life? Do we really have that confidence? Because look at how this psalm began. All right, You started down in the depths. right? You started verse 1, out of the depths, I call to you, Lord. But now it's kind of swung up. Things are on the upswing. It started in the depths, in the valley, and now it's swung up to the mountaintops of rejoicing. We've gone from being in despair to rejoicing in the Lord. So why is that happening? It's because we have confidence. The psalmist has confidence. He calls us to put our hope in the Lord, to not keep doubting Him. He wants us to have a strong confidence in God, yes, for forgiveness, an unshakable certainty that He will do it. But there are idols in our lives that cause us to doubt Him, that cause us to lack the confidence. The call here is to have that confidence. And what is the basis for it? What is the basis for this confidence? It's the faithful love with the Lord there in verse 7. That love is the basis for your confidence in Him. In other words, your hope for forgiveness that you have in Him, your hope for forgiveness is generated by or resting on His faithful love. If He didn't love you, there would be no such hope. So you see how we've got kind of all the Advent themes here, right? We've got hope for joy and peace and patience, but then confidence based on His love. In essence here, we're we're believing that faithful love brings about or produces forgiveness. It produces redemption. God is loving, and so He produces redemption for you. And His character never changes. It's the same yesterday. It's the same today. It's the same forever. And you can have that confidence You can have that confidence in His permanent love for you, in His unconditional love for you as His people. You can have that confidence because He made a covenant with believers. right? He made an agreement, and He will not break His agreement with believers, with His elect people, to save them from their sin. So you can have confidence in both His desire to save people and His ability to save people. Those are both very true with God. And then verse 8, it says, He will redeem Israel from all its iniquities. He will do it. And the reason why Israel, or all believers as the Israel of God, should have hope, hope and forgiveness, again, it goes back to the unconditional and unbreakable love of God. How do we know that He will redeem Israel? How do we know that He will redeem the Israel of God from all its iniquities? Because of His love. And so we're founded in that love. Romans 8.38. This is a famous verse. Some of you know this one. Romans 8.38 and 39. Paul says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. None of these things can separate you from the love of God, and that love of God produces your salvation. So we can have confidence in that. And we can have that hope in the Lord today that even when you've fallen off the path, even when you've sinned, God will fully restore you. And we can have this confident hope in the Lord because His character is one of covenantal love for His people, for you. Again, we're not looking to ourselves. We're trusting in Him and who His character is, what His character is, as revealed to us by Scripture. 
In John, he says, I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. And that sacrifice, why did he lay down his life for the sheep? It was out of love. And so the rallying cry today, why can you have confidence? Because he loves you. You can trust only in him and trust in this great God who loves you today. So to sum it all up then, what must we do? If we need this hope, if we we recognize our need for forgiveness, the hope in forgiveness, if we're waiting patiently for God to restore us when we sin and we have this great confidence in what He can do, what is our response? The call to response for you today, stop placing your hope in idols. Can't say that enough. But stop placing your hope in idols and instead hope continually in the Lord. It's not the idol that will do any of these things for you. It's the Lord. But we look to the idol and then we wonder why things have gone off course. Because our hope can't be in the idol, in anything on earth. It has to be in the Lord. And so for you today as we close, I want you to think about what idol is there that's drawing your hope, that's drawing your affections away from this loving God. It could be anything. Idols aren't always bad things, right? They can be good things in your life. They're good to a degree, and we abuse them. We turn them into idols. So what idol has drawn your hope and affection away from a loving God? Reject it. Stop placing your hope in that idol. But instead, for this Christmas season, put your hope only in Jesus. Fix your eyes on Him, the author and perfecter of our faith, and bring that idol before Him. Repent and live with this patient, confident hope in what God is doing in your life today. Live a hope reflecting your salvation. Live a hope in the victory of Jesus as King. And so let's rejoice this Advent. Let's be thankful for what God has done for us as we have uh, many more weeks to celebrate the coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. Rejoice in that. But rejoice in hope, knowing that we are not of this world. We have been bought out of it. We have been purchased and redeemed by Jesus. So pray with me. Father, thank you for what you have done. You are indeed a mighty God. We can't express it enough. We don't have words to say how mighty and how powerful you are, how worthy of our devotion you are, how worthy of our time you are. Lord, only you are worthy. And Lord, we admit, we confess that we have often failed to place our hope in you. We have gone astray. We have put our hope in other things. But Lord, today we repent and we turn back to you. And we know, Lord, that you love us and that you care for us. And so every day, Lord, remind us of why we can have a hope in you. Lord, give us a, a love for you, a greater measure of confidence and patience, as the psalmist talked about here. But Lord, above all, help us to look to you. Help us to fix our eyes on you knowing that with you there is forgiveness, knowing that with you we don't have to trust in ourselves, faulty and frail as we are. Lord, we can look to you and trust in your Son Jesus and the work he accomplished on the cross for sinners. Lord, destroy the idols in our hearts today and help us to look to you for hope in this month to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right.